Welcome to another episode of Capital Roots, brought to you by Capital Farm Credit, where we bring you the experts of the ag industry. Uh, you know, it's pretty tough out on the landscape, and that's, that's when co-ops thrive the best, is in periods of adversity. That's how they get started. That's how most of them got started, is during periods of adversity. In addition to a few Texas legends along the way, we're your hosts, Joe Patronella and Clint Cryer. Thank you for listening. Now let's get back to our roots. Welcome back to another episode of Capital Roots. Thanks for joining us. Today we're joined by Tommy Engelke, the Executive Director of the Texas Ag Co-op Council. Tommy, thank you so much for being here. It's always a pleasure to get to talk to you. Yeah, yeah it's uh, good to be here. See you several times a year. And uh, yeah, good to be over here and have a little chance to kind of chat uh, on a couple of issues that are going on. So, yeah. And in, in God's country of all places. Oh, well, yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> You got to be careful. We got Texas Tech people on here and uh, AM folks on here. And that that Texas Tech person over there is exactly why I said that because he's supposed to be here in studio, but a little flight trouble out of Lubbock. So, anyway, um, yeah. yeah, Joe, I told you that Tommy he's politically savvy, didn't I? I mean, he's he's already recognizing the Aggie versus the Red Raider. Tommy you know, is uh, probably the most politically savvy person I know. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. He's he's very on board. I like that. So, Clint, I know you and Tommy have known each other for for eons so i want to kick it over to you for you guys to kind of get it started over yeah i'll just start out tommy i really consider you a great friend and i'm glad to have you here you've served the cooperative system in texas and really i consider you kind of a godfather of texas ag politics so i want to say that live on air so that our listeners listeners can hear that but i'm really excited to have you here today so we can have this conversation you've been the executive director of texas ag co-op council for a number of years Tell us a little bit about that uh, experience, how long you've been there and where you came from. Well, our organization was created by uh, farmer-owned businesses, uh, is what a co-op is, and they started this organization in 1934. They said they needed to have a voice on behalf of all of these organizations, and and it started out in Dallas, and then they, uh, uh, back in the uh, 1950s, 1960s, they moved it to Austin to be closer to the capital, to have a presence around the capital. And so, so it's, uh, it, I, there's only been three of us that's been CEO of the organization. So it's, uh, it, it hasn't had a lot of turnover. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great organization. I've been associated with it since 1977 <clears throat> uh, when I worked at CoBank, uh, which is a, a bank that loans to co-ops. That's what they do. And since that time, they uh, expanded their definition a little. And so uh, I've been in this uh, business 46, 47 years, and it's been a good ride. And, um, uh, but we've been in Austin because of the political influence around the capital and so forth. Most all of your uh, associations, uh, associations are those uh, organizations that an industry creates so as to have representation around the state capital have a presence around the state capitol. So that's what we're, we're there for, is, uh, is to uh, have a presence down there. And to a lot of people's surprise, there are uh, around 65 ag groups, agricultural groups, associations, if you will, that are in Austin, that have offices down there and have legislative uh, and governmental affairs and regulatory uh, watchdog groups that kind of watch what's happening. 
for the farmers and ranchers of the state. A lot of people don't know that, but there's about 65 ag groups, and we're one of those 65. Yep. Tommy, 1977 was a really good year. It, it's an exceptional year, to be honest with you. 1977? <laughs> Is that about when you were born? Yeah. Well, yes, that's sir, I, I'm a 77. Model. Okay, well, that's when I started, January 10th of 77, my first day on the job in, uh, at CoBank, and I locked the keys in my pickup truck. So that was a, I never forget that. Downtown Houston, yeah. <laughs> and uh, since the time uh, CoBank has moved their location, and uh, but uh, no, it's uh, been a fun ride uh, all those years. And uh, back in high school, I didn't even know what a co-op was. It, you know, if I knew anything about a co-op in those days, it was. Uh, well, over in Russia, in the communist countries, they have these state farms that they call co-ops. And that's true. That's, how, that's what I knew a co-op to be uh, during my, all my high school days and so forth. And, uh, and th those definitions of those kind of uh, firms in communist countries are totally different. Uh, if a lot of you grew up in schools and learning that, uh, well, I'm a member of a co-op, and they, that immediately they all turned to a communist country, that is not true. <clears throat> Uh, there's far. It, they happen to use the word co-op, but it, their their structure is all state-owned farms and so forth. And and those countries, our ours, and a co-op. True sense of the word, farmers create these firms because of, of a necessity in their enterprise. They create them, they become the members, and then those members say 100, 150 of them. They elect a board of directors, and the board of directors uh, govern the thing and hire management and so forth. So. A, a co-op is a very strong, deeply rooted in governance of, of uh, uh, farmers and ranchers throughout the whole United States. So uh, they got their start in the late 1800s, and, and uh, 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 quite funny, in a cotton warehouse in southern England is where co-ops got their start. And, uh, and then it has blossomed since then, and, and uh, they're all, all throughout the United States. I, was a, I lived on a farm in Germany. And, uh, uh, and, and Germany's got co-ops all over the place. A lot of people don't realize Ukraine, which is such in the big news. There's 583 ag co-ops in Ukraine. Farmer-owned businesses wow. in Ukraine. Nobody knows it. But in Europe, they're very big. And, uh, and the European countries are very big in co-ops. You don't hear about it. It's not talked about. Farmer ownership. And it's, uh, that is a neat structure that just doesn't get talked about at the high school level. It does get talked about in, at university level. So it's an interesting, uh, interesting idea that uh, uh, takes a while to kind of get your arms around it. It's, uh, it's not easy to understand, but basically the farmers own it, and, uh, and they created it. And uh, so it's an interesting subject. So i got to ask you, for Tommy Engelke personally, what was your first exposure to a co-op? Uh, didn't grow up around them. There was not any of them around where I grew up in South Central Texas. And my first exposure to it was uh, a phone call I got from a bank president at the at the at CoBank, and he called and he had heard about me and said, "Can you would you like to come work for us at the at, at CoBank?" And I said, uh, "Would you explain that to me?" And I was already out of college. I had a master's degree, and uh, and I and that was the, my first introduction to. The, now, in some places around Texas, co-ops are very well known. In general, ag co-ops are found wherever you find row crop agriculture. At least ag co-ops are, sure. are like along the Gulf Coast, the Rio Grande Valley, uh, 
around San Angelo, all over Lubbock and Amarillo, West Texas, a lot of row crop ag. Now, now that's the ag co-ops. Now, also in the state, you have electric co-ops. There's 68 rural electric co-ops that supply um, the rural areas, their electricity. Then there's farm credit co-ops, like Capital Farm Credit is one of the, it's, it's one of the largest ones in the nation. And, and then there's telephone co-ops. So the, the co-op thing, you know, even though I first got introduced to it in college, it's, uh, it's just not that well taught in, in the high school level. So my first introduction of it was in, after I was out, and I got a call from the bank president at CoBank saying, would you like to come work for us? So that was a learning experience for me, and, and it's been, wow, what a championship season for 46 or 47 years it's been. So. Yep, yep, pretty awesome. You said you're from South Central Texas? Yeah, uh, near Seguin, uh, it's 17 miles away. Went to Luling High School, which is seven miles away. And uh, our family, uh, we had four of us in the, in the, uh, on the farm there. All four of us uh, went to A&M. We have seven degrees at A&M, all in the College of Agriculture. And uh, Clint, so, I'm going to check. You said you were a 77 model? Yes, sir. My dad graduated college from 77, and around that time, there were some of you and your brothers yeah. at school. He always said those Ink Elky boys. So, oh, oh, is so that how my they dad, My dad ran into y'all oh, when he was uh, at yeah, 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 there's a lot of Patronellas uh-huh. in my day. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And um, so, yeah, it's a, it was a good experience here. I got, got active when I got here, and, and I, I was on the state dairy cattle judging team in high school, so I was on the, the dairy cattle judging team here, and I was on the student body here at A&M, I was parliamentarian student body. Funny, most people who become parliamentarian of the student senate in most colleges, in most ag colleges at least, were former FFA members because they had the old blue and gold and the FFA stuff and so forth. So uh, that's how I got to be involved in the student senate and, and active and soil judging team also. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was active and enjoyed it. So from CoBank, to where you are now, what was that journey? Well, I I, I got out of uh, college and uh, and like I, said, I was working in the industry, the rice industry. And one day, this uh, CoBank president calls up and says, "I've heard about you through some your your uh, fellow classmates, and uh, would like to talk to you about coming to work for us." So uh, it took three interviews, and uh, and I uh, eventually said yes, and and they answered all all the requests, which wasn't a whole lot. And I went to work for them, and I was with CoBank in downtown Houston for uh, uh, well, seven years. And then, then we, we moved the whole operation to Austin. And uh, so I was with CoBank a grand total of a little over 12 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that time, I served on the board of the Statewide Association for Co-ops. So okay. that, that's, that's what I, I'm the CEO of now and have been since 1996. And, um, but it all started at CoBank and being on the board of the statewide co-op council. And so I, I, I was on the board seven years, and then they, they, they hired me uh, to, to do their government affairs work. And I did that for seven years, and then uh, the CEO retired, and, and I was named gotcha. in 1996 to be CEO of the co-op council. And uh, it's been a, a good journey. Sure. Good run. Yeah. You mentioned some of the talk segueing into some of the work that y'all do. One of the things that stuck out to me, you said earlier was that, that co-ops are not that well taught. And I know that part of y'all's mission with TAC or TACC, yeah. uh, I always yeah. I never know which one you want to call it, but y'all educate 
about the co-op model. Is yeah, that we, correct? Yeah, we have a kind of a three-legged stool. Uh, associations in Austin, sometimes they're just nothing but a lobby, uh-huh. a legislative group. Ours, we do uh, education, a lot of education. There's a lot of co-ops out there, and all these farmers sit on these board of directors, so they need education on how to be a good director of an ag co-op. So there's a number. We put on 10 or 12 educational schools throughout the state. We do one for co-op board chairman. We do one for co-op managers. We do one for co-op accountants and bookkeepers and and then some statewide meetings. So that's that's one leg. Another leg that we do is is governmental affairs, which in that that light, you, you have to watch over legislative action that happens at the Capitol, as one legislator once told me from San Angelo years ago, he says, you know, I can legislate you right out of business. And now I know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not down there, you know, as pretty as it is or as ugly as it may be, if you're not down there in a the part of the action, they can legislate you right out of business. And, and with that, you also have regulatory action. So there's a lot of regulatory agencies that write rules that impact all of us. There is the, the Texas Education Agency. They impact all the teachers. There is the Texas Department of Agriculture. They regulate all weights and scales. And, and uh, basically the food system in, in the state of Texas. Then you got the state comptroller's office. They collect all the taxes. They pay all the state's bills. Then you got the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality. They do all environmental stuff. So you have to have your nose stuck in all that stuff or they'll 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 write rules uh, that that uh, uh, that really are very harmful. And it's not that they're trying to be harmful uh, on these regulatory agencies. Generally speaking, they're, they're good agencies. We work with them a lot. One agency that a lot of people don't realize that's a regulatory agency is the DPS trooper. That yeah. is a regulatory state agency. They write rules. They write traffic laws. Yeah. And, and, and so we have to work with them. Uh, years ago in the 80s, there was a, a deal that they wanted to do, make the, the maximum width on county bridges, 20 feet. Well, you know, if you grew up on a farm today, you have headers on combines at 28, 32 feet wide. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's not that they're bad people. There's sometimes the people that suggest some of these rules, they need us to come in there, and they do. They call us in a lot, and hey, we're thinking about writing this new rule on whatever, and, and so we work with them. Mm-hmm. And th- that's when it works right, is when they call you in, and you have a reputation in these agencies, and that happens a lot. And, and there was one time they wanted to do a deal uh, where uh, no longer could my dad and me, could we dehorn and vaccinate uh, our own cattle. I said, what? You know, and, and we really called not. together 83 people at this one hearing. Uh, 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 they wanted to only be done by licensed veterinarians. Uh, you know, most farm kids grow up vaccinating and dehorning cattle. Correct. And so is that, does that make me a bad guy? As a lobbyist, am I a bad guy? Well, turns out they pulled the, the rule back. And, and, and we still operate where farm kids can do their own vaccinating and dehorning. And so, so what I do and other 64, 65 ag groups do is we're not bad people. We're down in Austin trying to, to keep farmers and ranchers out of the ditch. Yep. And it's not that these agency people are bad people. Sometimes the people writing the rules, 
didn't grow up like I did or you did. And so uh, so now they, a lot of them, they will call on us and ask us to help them in, uh, uh, when they're thinking about a new rule and so forth. So, so it's yep, I'd say, I'd say I'd say growing up as a farmer ranch kid, if you hadn't been vaccinated yourself or, or wormed yourself via, yep. you know, Ivamec 4 on, you probably hadn't done too much work yourself. Yeah, or if you hadn't yeah. had a Cinevex C needle go through your hand. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> So there's a there's yeah. a, there's those kind of things, but the agents have really been the ones we worked with that impact agriculture. We've had good relationships with them, and, and uh, so uh, on occasion you you have to go over and stick your nose in it and kind of clean this up or clean that up or ask questions, and, and they're, they're, they they'll listen. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're not it's not a harmful experience. So, but somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to be there, and so you know uh, we that do that kind of work we get labeled. Oh, you're a dirty, stinky, nasty lobbyist. Uh, yeah, we get labeled that, and there are the three or four percent that's out there that makes all the rest of us look bad. I will go to my grave being very proud <clears throat> of being involved in farm policy and ag policy. I would have never believed this as a kid growing up in FFA that I ever have this kind of footing and have an, an impact on on ag policy in the state. So I'm, I'm proud of it, but people will ridicule you about being in that profession. And, and it's because of the three or 4% that make us look bad. When you should be yep. Tommy, I was going to circle back, but you were talking about those 65 ag groups. And, and I, I'm assuming you're talking about a lot of us that meet for that Texas ag council. Yes, yeah. That's right. Um, Tommy is being very humble, but you're one of the forefront of at that group that knows the policy and knows a lot of the stuff that's going on on some on the rare occasion you'll miss a meeting we'll be like well tom tommy's not here so we need to reconvene on some of those issues we we all have our specialties but yeah. the ones that you know man we just gotta wait for tommy to get back for the next meeting uh, yeah, so uh, you uh, are you do know a, a, a breadth of information well i've been in the in the business since the mid 80s and so a lot of people think when you're involved around the capital that you're an attorney and that's not true uh, there are a lot of attorneys that that play the lobby role, uh, but uh, I, I didn't. I've just Attor- been- attorneys are overrated. It's fine. Huh? I'm an attorney. Okay. We're a way overrated, Tommy. <laughs> but I, I, uh, it's a it's it's a great profession, and it's because I've been there so long. It's not that because I, I'm not an attorney. It's just I've been there so long, and I've seen the different rules and the bills that have gotten mm-hmm. passed, and um, and and. Uh, uh, it, it's 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 been interesting, and uh, it's always ever changing. Yeah, you you you've served in a leadership position with Texas Ag Council. Is that correct? Yeah, these sixty-five ag groups in, in the in the early sixties, uh, they created a uh, a coalition. It, it doesn't have a definition. It doesn't have bylaws. It's just sort of a coalition of all these groups. They get together once a week, and we all look at bills or regulatory action that's taking place. And we help one another. Now, I grew up in, in ag and FFA and all that. Oh, these ag groups don't get along with one another. Well, we do. Uh, we, we get along. We share a, a certain bill. I've, I've caught several bills, and I've passed them on to the Texas Southwestern Washington Cattle Raisers or the Farm Bureau. They've caught a bill or two that, you know, hey, where'd that go? When, you, when they, they file these bills, you're talking about 8,500 to 9,500 bills that get filed. And it's hard to track all that. And, and so you need these other groups out there, and they help me and I help them. And so as a coalition, it's been a real sound footing for everybody. I chaired that for two and a half years. Uh, uh, 
a couple of years ago, I gave up the, the chairman of that. And uh, but yeah, you have to herd a lot of cattle, and and uh, and these weekly meetings, we surface a lot of things to again to try to make sure that we protect the interests of farmers and ranchers, uh, whether in the East Texas or South Texas or, or West Texas. And uh, it's kind of an awesome responsibility. But between the 65 of us, we keep a pretty good handle on on things going on down at the Capitol. And uh, with that group started in the 60s is still going on today, and it's still lively as ever. So, You mentioned a couple of times I've heard your, your time in FFA. Tell us a little bit about your history there. Well, I, I think uh, the FFA is one of those kind of programs that uh, largely is dictated by what kind of ag teacher you have. And I had a, a great ag teacher. Uh, and... Uh, and so he, he saw this scrawny kid that couldn't talk to himself in front of a mirror, and he put me in all these different contests that the FFA offers in leadership schools and, you know, got in the speaking contest and so forth and uh, never did very well uh, in speaking, but, you know, was elected, you know, district president, area president, and state vice president. And, 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 and then later I worked for the National FFA in Washington, D.C., and, and – uh, and so with that kind of training, uh, the Dell Carnegie people called me in Houston one day and says, uh, we, we need some good instructors. So I went through two years of training in Dell Carnegie and uh, later became a, an instructor of Dell Carnegie for uh, 13 years. And so, so that FFA stuff kind of helped me launch into other things. And uh, in fact, that's how I got to be parliamentarian there at, at, at A&M, the Student Senate. John Sharp and Rick Perry were there one night and said, you know, you're the old FFA guy. We, we need a parliamentarian. You know parliamentary procedure. And said, uh, we're, we're going to nominate you for uh, to be parliamentarian. Said, sure enough, you know, I got it. And uh, a lot of those guys that were on that deal are, are serving in the legislature today, or some of them I see at football games. They've done quite well for themselves. So all those relationships you build, uh, it, it, it carries on. I, I remember a number of years ago, I had Carl Rove come talk to my board of directors. Carl Rove was a campaign strategist for, for uh, George W. Bush. And uh, I, asked, I, asked, I, asked, uh, I asked Carl, I said, how is it that you got to be the, the campaign director for George W. Bush? He said, well, in college, I was a, I was a college student by president. And later, all of us college student by presidents get together for a convention. And I was elected the national president of all college university presidents. So I had a foothold in the legislative end of things, the advocacy end sure. of things. And so that's how Carl Rove got his start. And it started in college. And so a lot of my stuff started in FFA, carried over to college, and, and then later to what I'm doing now. Interesting. Y'all have Let's not asked a whole lot of questions about co-ops, you know, but... <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. I'm ready. Let's talk about. You talk so let's, good let's about, about the beginning, but no. You, let's talk about the Texas Co-op Council. Who who are your members there, and and really, what do they do? Well, this association that that I serve as CEO of, uh, it's made up of uh, four different kind of co-ops: your electric co-ops, your ag or farmer co-ops. Um, Telephone co-ops, farm credit co-op, those four. And so they're scattered all over the state, and uh, they're all members, and they want to have a voice in Austin. So we do that, and and we've been doing that, like I say, since 1934. And uh, it's uh, – it's, it's, um, 
Some of our members, most of our members, two-thirds of our members are cotton-related. So uh, cotton, of course, has historically been a major uh, product, ag product in the state. So naturally, it, it makes up about two-thirds of our membership. So and all of our, a lot of our leadership are on the national scene also. So uh, uh, it's, a, it's a, it was a lot of rich, deep leadership in, 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 our, in our organization. Some of them have gone later on to, to serve. And, and um, uh, Charlie Stenholm was a U.S. congressman from out, uh, out near Abilene. Uh, he was on our board. He started our political action committee. He said, I, I'm going to run for Congress. And if you get all these co-op members, you know, you get them all talking together, they can move mountains. And he's right. And so he, he got elected to U.S. Congress, served like what, 15, 16 years uh, and uh, he's, he's no longer a U.S. congressman, but uh, he, he started out with us. We've had a number of excellent leaders uh, over the years that have been big in, in, on the ag scene. So, so with, if you look at co-ops and, and your membership specifically, I mean, talk a little bit about the, the width and breadth of those co-ops. You know, what kind of power do the co-ops have within the state of Texas? I mean, why should anybody... Really well, listen to a co-op's opinion. One of the one of the misnomers that's out there. USDA puts out a lot of uh, economic data and charts, and they send them to all the universities and so forth. About 20, 20 some odd years ago, they sent out all these charts, and they had this economic chart showing that the number of co-ops are on the decline. And there it was; it's on the decline. So the people putting all those charts together at USDA surmised that the co-op model is on the way out. Well, contrary to all that, that's just the opposite. There are less John Deere dealers. There are less tire dealers. There are less all of these other things, too. But in the co-op sense, their, their um, dominance is just as great as it's ever been. There's not as many of them. Oh, uh, when I started in 1977, there's 1,250 co-ops in the state. And today, uh, there's about 150. So... Uh, well, that don't mean the co-op influence is going downhill. It's, look at Capital Farm Credit. It's, it's, it's one of the largest ag banks in the nation, in the sentence. And, and so, uh, but there's not that many of those farm credit associations or farm credit co-ops anymore. They've had the economies of size. You can do more for farmers and ranchers, more equitable when you have a little bit of size to yourself. And so that, that is what has happened to our organization, Clint. So there's been some mergers over the years that, that have caused that. And, and then they're going to continue with all the droughts and so forth that we've had the last 20, 10 or 12, 13 years. Uh, you know, it's pretty tough out on the landscape. And that's, that's when co-ops thrive the best is in periods of adversity. That's how they get started. That's how most of them got started, is during periods of adversity. In the 20s and the 30s, you had a couple of big, uh, 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 big uh, agribusiness firms out there, and the farmers kind of said, well, hold it. Hold it. Why can't we farm our own marketing co-op and market it ourselves? So in 1948, they created what today is the largest cotton marketing thing in the world, called Plains Cotton Cooperative out in Lubbock. Of 1948, farmers put it together. Of all things, they market cotton, and yes, because now you can concentrate all that expertise. You know, about 98% of all the milk in the state is done by a co-op. Say what? I get it at HEB. I get HEB milk or foremost milk. <laughs> yeah, but 98% of it comes from a co-op. 
You know it, on, and you see it in the dairy trucks that travel the back roads of the state, the Dairy Farmers of America. Most all the sugar that you see comes from a sugar co-op. A lot of people don't know that Welch's grape drink. Welch's grape, farmers own that. That is a co-op. Ocean Spray Cranberry, a lot of people don't know. Farmers own that. 1,200 cranberry growers owns Ocean Spray. Say what? Yeah, they, they do. And now, the look I get in Austin sometime is, well, hold it. Now, hold it. You're trying to tell me sun-kissed oranges and Florida natural pride and lucky leaf apple juice and all of those Subi honey. You're trying to tell me farmers own those companies, and I'm going to say yes, they do. And they've been earning that. They've had that distinction since the 20s and 30s. And the look that I get in their eye is, I'm not buying that. Farmers aren't smart enough to own those big companies. Yes, they are, and they were in the 20s and the 30s, and they still are today. They were smart enough then. The farmers said, I want to control, I want to capture, I want to control and capture much further up the food chain. And the co-op structure allows them to do that. And so that's why you're seeing those companies like them. Uh, Blue Diamond Almond is another one. Yeah. <laughs> farmers own that company, not Bill Gates or somebody else. Farmers own those companies. And so that is a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating story that very few people know. And, and, and I think, of, you know, I see capital farm credit ads on TV. You know, we're member-owned. We're farmer-owned. You know, and until you really get down and look at it, I think when they see the Patrick's refund check come in every year, it, it finally dawns on, I do own this thing. Maybe somebody else started it. Maybe my granddaddy started it. But I own it, and I control it, and I reap the rewards. And that's the true mechanism of the way the co-op's supposed to work. Whenever the profit is made at the end of the year, it's, it's, it's divvied back out to those based on how much you use the co-op. So it's a fascinating story that few people know about, few people talk about, and, and, uh, but for farmers and ranchers, they've been doing it a long time. So it's, it's, a, it's a great story, Clint. So that's what I was, I was trying to lay a, I was laying a little trap for you there. What I was, I was trying to get at is, you know, what, what's the width and breadth of co-ops kind of like what do you, we originally talked about when you started producing those uh, placemats that says, Hey, yes. you've got 127 members that represent uh, 127 members of the council, which, you know, ultimately those 127 filter down into X number of members that underneath each individual member, if that makes sense. Oh uh, yeah. You take, the Bryan Co-op with Producers Co-op, they have 10,000 members. 10,000 members. Uh, Plains Cotton Cooperative Association of Lubbock, well, they got, uh, I don't know, they, they got, I don't know, eight or 10,000 in, in, in four or five states. Uh, and and uh, Dairy Farmers of America, they're, they're, they handle about 38% of all the U.S. milk. Mm -hmm. One company. Uh, and farmers own it on top of that. So it, uh, this ownership thing... The farmers like that. They they like to have that uh, that ownership and the the democratic control because they 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 can voice their their deal. You know, and today th this deal about the co-op thing, I think it's going to get bigger because we have a much more advocate-oriented society today. Yes. In the sentence, Correct. you're seeing in the political deals and where did it happen. I don't know where it happened, right. but you got the perfect deal. I hear people tell me all the time in the co-op deal, you have a self-made structure that will move mountains and that's right there's not a whole lot of them out there 
But boy, all the members that they have in each of these co-ops, it's the, monumental. There's and so, power within it. There's power in that. And I don't say power in a negative way. No. It, it, it just simply moves mountains if when you need to move a mountain. Hey, Tommy, you were talking about your three-legged stool earlier that TAC offers in terms of uh, services, and you got through education, lobbying. What would the third of that be? The third one is uh, member services. So uh, as an association, we try to do things for our members. And one of the things we do is a lot of educational meetings. Sometimes we do uh, – one a real problem we've been doing is these economic footprint placemats that, that we, we do kind of a chamber of commerce placemat, if you will, uh-huh. for the co-op to use at their annual meeting. And that gets a lot of attention. They're printed on eight and a half by 17 deal, and it, we consolidate. Instead of looking at a 20-page annual report, you can look at this placemat, and it's all there. You know, it's really well done. I'm not that good at designing, but I, I can put together a lot of information. So we do what I call member service things. We'll go out and work with a co-op board of directors uh, lots of time individually and do things like that. And, and uh, we put out publications uh, for, for people. So member services is uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, we, we're, we're starting to specialize in some of our training and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's a, it's a three-legged stool. But we didn't – over the years, our organization, when it started in 34, was strictly legislative and government affairs. In 1984, they added education to, to, the, to the work of the association. And then when I came in 96, I added member services. So, yeah. uh, now, so now it's a three-legged stool. I mean, and it may not fall under there, but I just want to commend you for all of the events that you hold because, you know, I, I'll be in Round Rock with you all next week. And, you put on phenomenal events that are places where these members of these co-ops can get together and catch up on what's going between them. So that that's just something else I know you do that takes a lot of effort, and, and I commend well, you on that. A lot of people out of state tell us that what they like about us and our association, uh, farm credit co-ops like us for usually our legislative stuff. Sure. Other kind of co-ops like us for another reason. And so all the different variety of things, we've had a number of people tell us out of state, you touch – you touch all the co-ops, and with all the different variety of things that y'all do, you touch everybody somewhere. Mm-hmm. You hit everybody's button somewhere, and, th- and I like that. I like that, that that we can serve as a voice for these farmer-owned businesses and touch somebody in some way, and that, that that's good. That's, I've done my job if yep. we can do that. So. Yep. so remind me, how many how many members specifically does the council have? About 150. Uh, 150? Yeah. So, so, I got you. Have yeah. you ever... I'm curious. Have you ever done any any put the numbers together? And you know, I would expect that most of them are. You've got to be a cooperative to be a member of TACC. That, correct? That's correct. And you're going to ask uh, how, uh, collectively how many members is all that? I, I will put it yep. to you this way, Clint: that we have about 88 percent of all the co-op business in the state coming through our offices, rather than saying okay. it's 100,000 farmers or whatever. I don't know what that number is. Uh, I, I would think it's around fifty to sixty thousand. That's the generalization on my part. But when you collect it, eighty-eight uh, percent uh, of all the co-op influence going on in the state comes through our membership, and they 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 come to our events and do things with us and so forth. And uh, I think they come because we offer good speakers, and uh, they they like to. We don't bring the same old, same old, same old. We try to add some variety to our speakers, uh, people who come to our events and so forth. Yeah, those are great numbers. Yes, you said, I was just trying to have some relativity, but 50 or 60,000 members. I don't know if you knew this, but Capital has over 23,000 members. Is that right? Yeah. Just Capital Farm Credit alone. 
Yeah, y'all are y'all y'all are the second or third largest ag bank in the in the United States. So yeah, I can yeah y'all are y'all touch a lot of people. And uh, yeah, yeah y'all y'all are a dominant player. All the places I go and watch the news at night, there's Capital Farm Credit ad. So y'all are everywhere I turn, uh, or Farm Magazine, y'all are there. So uh, you touch a lot of people sounds, in a lot of different. Sounds places. like our marketing. Yeah, sounds like sounds like our marketing people are doing a really, really good job. Oh, sharp. Uh, I've known them for a long time. They are very sharp. Yeah, they, they know what they're doing. <laughs> good you know, Clint, one of the things that uh, uh, occasionally we'll get a call about a, a starting a co-op. And, and, uh, it, it, and, and what, what, what usually causes a person to, to start a co-op is one of three reasons. Number one, the service is not being provided. We've had calls about hemp production, starting a call. Why should, why should one guy put all the facilities together for hemp production? Why don't we co-op the thing and have a bunch of farmers do it? And in the old days, we had MU co-ops. We had ostrich co-ops. We had olive growers. When that hit 15, 18 years ago in the state, they started talking about it. So if, the, if a service not being provided, that's one reason a co-op gets started. That's how a lot of these other big co-ops you see today on the grocery shelf got started. Another reason they get started is, is um, uh, it's not, the service is not being provided competitively. In West Texas, you may have two or three cotton gins in one town. Well, why is there two or three cotton gins in one town? Because probably it, the cotton ginning was not being done competitively over time, and so some of the farmers got together and said, hey, we can do it on ourselves. We'll build our own cotton gin. And, and uh, uh, the third reason that, that uh, uh, people get together and start a co-op, and this is how a lot of them got started years ago. A bunch of little farmers, you know, in the old days, had 100 acres or 200 acres. They couldn't compete with the 10,000-acre with the farmer in the, in the 30s. Uh, all these big marketing giants would come out to the farmer's turn room buy their cotton or their grain. Well, the little farmer, they didn't want to mess around with the little farmer. So uh, uh, largely, a lot of the cops got started today, got started because the little farmers wanted more market power. Mm -hmm. And now they grew up to be big, big players in the marketplace. And, and uh, I, I, I just want to make that point of why co-ops get started in the first place. I always tell the professors who teach the co-op class at Texas A&M and at Texas Tech, they teach it uh, uh, every year. You know, if I was the instructor of the class, I would ask one question on the final exam. And that question would be, if these co-ops are so great, why doesn't Bill Gates have one? Why doesn't Donald Trump and all these other entrepreneurs have one? That's the one question I would ask. Because co-ops don't operate like that. They do not operate. They operate out of necessity, an economic need. And it's hard to get that point across. The, the co-op is, a, is, a, is an unusual business structure because farmers... It, it didn't start on a Sunday afternoon drive in the country or come over and eat homemade ice cream kind of deal. Let's start us a co-op, a warm foot. It didn't start that way. It got started because of necessity and economic yeah. drive from the farmers said, we got to do better than this. we got to take control of it. And that's how they got started. Not some warm fuzzy or afternoon drive in the country and said this. Yeah, that's not why they got started. Mm -hmm. Very determined yeah. farmers started them. I'd like to submit another idea to you that we've been – talking about a lot of at capital. So, you know, if we consider capital farm credit, really any ag cooperative, but uh, the future viability of our business is really directly related to next generation, building a next generation 
of, of producers, of agriculturalists. You know, and, and to that end, I guess I'd ask you a question. If I'm a new producer and, and regardless of that commodity, whether it's, you know, uh, cotton or, or, or corn or, or cattle or, or whatever it be, uh, what advice would you have? I'm going to make this a two-part question. What advice would you have as I get started to make me successful? And then what value can co-ops really play uh, in that getting in my operation off the ground? Uh, it's not talked about much, believe it or not. Uh, but one of the first things I would tell a young farmer is getting involved in ag and, and uh, getting in a co-op is it just doesn't get talked about much, but it takes a lot of money. If you're in ag, it's high risk, high dollar. If you get in a co-op, you share in the development of that co-op. So instead of taking a uh, million dollars or $15 million to build a cotton gin, hey, I'll take, I'll take $50,000 and I'll join up with another 100 farmers and we will share that burden of all of that debt Therefore, I can use more of my dollars in my own enterprise. So if I'm a young farmer, well, I'd be looking at that co-op deal because I don't have, I can have my own deal. I can be my own owner. I can reap its rewards. And, and I don't have all this debt because I'm sharing it with other people. And I, I, that's the biggest thing I would tell a, a young producer, uh, Clint, uh, the, the co-op structure, you, you can share and all that debt that is required to get in farming. And it's risky. So your debt is not that risky. It's shared with other members. And, and I, that's, a, that's a big thing I'd tell a guy, uh, a, a, young, a young producer getting involved in, a, in farming Makes ranching. Makes sense. So I've, I've got to ask you to, to give us some stories before we're done. You mentioned Carl Rove. And, and, and I know I've been uh, gotten the opportunity to be with you uh, when you got the opportunity to visit with several notable or, or let's just call them famous people over the years. I'm curious of some of those notable people and, and some of the impressions that they made on you, whether it be Carl Rove or Drew Pearson or uh, any of the others. Well, we've had a lot of the, a lot of those speakers that you can say, well, what, why, why do you bring them to your state convention? And they don't have anything to do with co-ops. You know, well, what, so what, what's, what's the deal here? I, I you know, my, my drive in association work is to try to get a nice crowd out to a meeting. Mm -hmm. What does it take to get a crowd? Is it a celebrity? Is it a, what is it? And if I, once I get them to, to a convention, then we do other training and everything. But they don't come to a convention just to learn about co-ops. They want to, they, they bring in their families. And, and uh, you know, we had Drew Pearson. They need a little the flash. Huh? They need a little flash, too, you know? Yeah, yeah. They bring their kids, and the kids got involved. So we try to make our state convention a family affair. So, therefore, we bring in people. They don't have anything to do with co-op. We do it to attract the family crowd, and they all come. And we had the guy that, when President Kennedy was killed, the, the CIA agent that jumped on the back of the motorcade, uh, he was 81 years old. He came to spoke in our, at our meeting, and he talked about that sharpest attack, Clint Hill. We've had that guy, the guy who... Uh, who flew George W. Bush around in the airplane on 9-11, flew him all over the place on, on Air Force One. We had him speak at our meeting. What does he have to do with co-ops? He has nothing to do with co-ops. But he had a lot to say, and, and a lot of these people, uh, th it's their first introduction to this co-op business structure. And, and oh, really? You know, I, I can do that? And I said, yeah, you, you can do that. Uh, and and uh, so it's... Uh, Yes, we've, we've had a lot of those good acquaintances over the year. Probably one of the best speakers we ever had 
was an NFL referee named Walt Coleman. Uh, ran a dairy right outside Little Rock, Arkansas. He's the NFL referee that called the famous tuck rule on Tom Brady that everybody talks about. Now there's no longer a tuck rule. Well, that Walt Coleman runs a dairy. You know, he's a farm kid, but he's, he's very good, and he, he speaks to a lot of co-op annual meetings. So we've had another good one we've had was a, a former uh, guy at the CIA agency. He's now at Texas A&M University, and he can tell you a lot of war stories about uh, things that go on in the CIA. And you know, today A&M puts out more CIA agents than anybody else in the world. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, I'm just, these kind of speakers come out, and they, they, uh, our people like, like seeing the guys who have been players in, in, in the destiny of our country. And those have been some of the players that we've had come out. Uh, the guy who captured Saddam Hussein, he came out one time. So we've. We've had all kinds, Clint. You've seen them all. Yep. So which, I got to ask you, and put you on the spot here, which one made the biggest impression on Tommy Engelke? I, I guess the two, it would be Walt Coleman, NFL referee, because, you know, I kind of put him up there like an NFL referee. They're a God-like figure. You know, he's just one of us. Yeah. Ran a dairy outside of Little Rock, Arkansas. And, but also uh, James Olson, the, the guy from the CIA, he was number three at CIA. Oh, I've and, heard him. He came and spoke at Tall. Yeah, uh, yes. he's a great guy. And, and amazing guy. He talked about how I could be the most beautiful looking woman you ever saw. And it, because if you remember the old show, uh, uh, Mission Impossible, they dress up. Mm-hmm. And he, I'd be the most beautiful looking woman you ever saw. I knew five languages. And he told about how he, he got into the CIA. He got a strange call one night. Said, meet me down at the hotel on a certain certain day. Do, do what? Meet you where? Yeah. The, the way you get summoned into the CIA deal is a very secretive thing as mm-hmm. well. So he, those two, Clint, were probably the most, uh, uh, I don't know, interesting. But, you know, <clears throat> to have uh, Drew Pearson caught the Hail Mary pass, you know, he wanted to do a, a, a kind of a chit-chat deal. So I had him up on stage, and he and I were up on stage. And who had ever thought an old plowboy like me from Central Texas would be up interviewing Thirty or forty years later, Drew Pearson uh, on the stage. So, you know that that's interesting for this old guy that he was an old plowboy in Central Texas to to be able to sit on the stage with Drew Pearson and interview him. And that that's interesting. It's, those are memory makers. But boy, he he had the crowd laughing and rolling in the aisles. You were there. You, you saw what he did. He, he's he's great speaker. So good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Tommy. We really appreciate the visit today. Uh, we appreciate what you've done for cooperatives and agriculture in the state of Texas over your years. Uh, it's an honor to have you here uh, in the visit. I, I think I speak for Joe as well and, and all of us at, at Capital. Uh, we appreciate and thank you for, for being here telling this, your story. Yeah, well, thank you. And thank you. I, I had a loan with you guys. And, and boy, that was a, that was a once much more than what I was expecting. That was a great adventure and great experience. And I'll be back. Uh, soon and uh, uh, so y'all do y'all do a great service and, and, and y'all really echo this co-op sentiment that we're trying to do in this podcast here y'all really echo that y'all really play that out to the nth degree so I, I appreciate y'all on that so thank well, you Clint. Tommy I want to say one thing Clint mentioned uh, you being the godfather of Texas Ag for the listeners not there but as the sole Italian in the room I want to say that 
that that had an impact on me and you've had an impact <laughs> on my career you've been in the short time i've known you very influential for me and helped me meet quite a few people and and always kind of steered me in the right direction so i want to thank you for that and all you've done for texas ag as well we really appreciate you and thank you for being here with us today thank you thank you for joining us today on capital roots texas agriculture is the foundation of our story and what makes us family capital farm credit to proud member of the farm credit system we finance farmers ranchers agricultural producers and rural landowners, and we're here to make your vision a reality. We've been serving rural Texas for more than a century. Whether it be traditional, innovative, or lifestyle, we'll help you cultivate new ground. We're all in this together. Because together, we're better.